Hi there and welcome. I'm Rabbi Nachomet with the Las Vegas Cola. If you study American history, you'll notice a subtle yet critical shift in the attitude of the founding fathers and their approach to slavery versus the leaders of the Civil War in the South and their approach and attitudes to slavery. You see, the Founding Fathers, although many of them we know owned slaves, they acknowledged and believed, generally speaking, that slavery was immoral, that slavery was unjust, that slavery was a sin. We find, we know that George Washington in his will, he freed all of his slaves. Thomas Jefferson, who would go ahead and owned many, many slaves, he would write of slavery, it was a moral depravity and a hideous blot. Famously, Thomas Jefferson, in the, in the Declaration of Independence, he actually wanted to include a paragraph going ahead and accusing King George of Great Britain of going ahead and forcing slavery amongst the colonies. And he acknowledged that slavery was unjust, immoral, and it was King George's fault, and that's why we ought to rebel. Jefferson at least acknowledged, despite the fact that he owned slaves, he at least acknowledged that it was wrong. Madison called slavery dishonorable to the national character, and he would go ahead and write that it was wrong to admit in the Constitution the idea that there could be property in men. Monroe would call slavery one of the evils still remaining incidental to our colonial system. The Founding Fathers, by and large, although they owned slaves, at least they acknowledged it was wrong. They acknowledged that it was sinful. Yet you fast forward one generation, and we find that the leaders of the South they changed their attitudes. So we find, for example, that John C. Calhoun, one of the leaders of the South, he would write that I take a higher ground. I hold that in the present state of civilization, where two races of different origin distinguished by color now exist, there is instead of an evil, a good, a positive good in slavery. Calhoun feels that slavery isn't just something that we have and we recognize as being wrong. Calhoun argues that slavery is a positive good. He sees no evil in slavery. Jefferson Davis would be the first president of the Confederacy. He would argue that slavery was established by the decree of God. It has existed in all ages, has been found among the people of the highest of civilizations and the nations in the highest proficiency in the arts. And it's such a remarkable transition. Whereas the founding fathers, although many of them owned slaves, at least they acknowledged it was immoral. One generation later, the Calhouns, the Jefferson Davises, and many of the other leaders of the South, they now feel that slavery is appropriate. It's moral. It's just. They find a positive good in slavery. And the question that we have to ask is, why this transition? Why did the earlier generation, the generation of the Founding Fathers, why did they at least acknowledge that slavery was immoral and unjust? And just a few decades later, the Calhouns, the Davises, and the leaders of the South, they feel that slavery is appropriate. Both of them owned slaves. Why in generation number one did they at least acknowledge it was a sin, whereas generation number two, they view it as a positive, as a morally good and correct thing? What created that transition? We read in the book of Genesis, Sefer Bereshis, we read the story of Yitzchak, Isaac, who goes ahead and he wants to confer the blessings of his father and to confer it to his son, Esav. Now, we read that Esav was indeed a bad person, a person of poor character. He was a terrible, sinful man. Yet Yitzchak felt that Esav was worthy of receiving the future destiny of Klal Yisrael, the future of the Jewish people. 
And it was a terrible misassessment of character, a terrible misjudge of Esau's personality. And the question is, how did Yitzchak misassess his son Esau and think that Esau was a good person? How was it that someone as great as Yitzchak was able to go ahead and believe that his son Esau was a good guy when we're taught after all that Esau was a terrible person? And the truth of the matter is the Medrash asks this question subtly and explains that Yitzchak was lohit achar grono. That Yitzchak went ahead and he followed his stomach. He followed the fact that Esav went ahead and provided him with food. We read that Esav went ahead and was loved by Yitzchak because kitzayid befiv, says the verse, because Esav provided him with food. Esav took care of his father. He gave him food. He sustained his father. And because of that, Yitzchak loved him. And my rabbi explained that obviously that needs to be understood on a deeper level. Because just because Esau provides his father with food, he takes care of him. His father, Yitzchak, who's a great person, is going to go ahead and make such a terrible mistake. And my rabbi explained this is a basic idea in Musser, which is called a Nagia. What social psychologists call a cognitive bias. You see, we like to think that our judgments and assessments of the world, what we view as correct and incorrect, moral and immoral, is based on our minds. It's based on our ability to assess the world and come up with judgments and evaluations of what's correct and what's incorrect. But the truth of the matter is, our minds don't exist in a vacuum. They don't work like machines. Rather, we are biased by our appetites. Our needs and interests and cravings massively influence our judgments of what we think is right and wrong. We will go ahead and mischaracterize and go ahead and say something is correct and moral and just because it serves our interests. Because we are biased by what that choice would provide for us, we will go ahead and often misjudge and misevaluate things and assume something is correct because we stand to gain. Our judgments of morality are massively biased by our appetites. And that's the story with Isaac. That's a story with Yitzchak. Yitzchak, who is a brilliant psychologist, a brilliant assessor of character, of personality, a person with tremendous judgment. He was also blinded. He was also biased by the fact that Esau, his son, took care of him, provided him with food. The fact that Esau gave Yaakov food and took care, excuse me, took care of his father Yitzchak and provided him with food and took care of him financially that biased Yitzchak's ability to assess the fact that Esau was indeed a scoundrel. The fact that Esau was a bad person gets skewed, gets misinterpreted by the brilliant psychologist, by the brilliant assessor of character, which was his father Yitzchak. He's blinded and biased by the fact that he has this negia, this bias, his appetite. The fact that Esau took care of Yitzchak, Yitzchak is blinded and misjudges the character of Esau. And that's a powerful lesson for all of us. If someone is great, as a Yitzchak, will misjudge other people, will misjudge what's correct and incorrect because of a cognitive bias, because of a negia, because of his appetites, certainly we will fall prey to that. It's an amazing story. It's a, an apocryphal story. It may or may not be true. Is that one day, Eli Whitney was watching a chicken in the late 1700s. And he sees a cat trying to attack the chicken. And the cat reaches out its claws and grabs the chicken and sure enough comes up with a claw full of feathers. And Whitney saw that and he came up with a brilliant idea. You see, back then, 
cotton was very, very difficult to produce because you see cotton has a lot of lint and a lot of seeds inside the cotton. And to remove the lint and to remove the seeds takes a lot of time and it costs a lot of money and a lot of labor to go ahead and remove the seeds and the lint from the cotton. And Whitney, based on that episode with the chicken and the cat, developed a very rudimentary and simple machine called the cotton gin. And the cotton gin was essentially a bunch of nails on a bunch of rollers. You'd feed the cotton into this cotton gin, you'd turn a crank, and the nails would easily separate the cotton from the lint and the seeds. And immediately, the production of cotton jumps because the cost of labor to manufacture cotton, it plummeted. Before the invention of the cotton gin, it would take one slave about one day to produce one pound of cotton. But after this ingenious invention of the cotton gin, one slave in one day could produce 50 pounds of cotton. Great Britain, which was the greatest consumer of cotton at the time, before the cotton gin, it consumed less than 100 million pounds of cotton per year, and only half of that was imported from the United States. After the cotton gin, they would consume over a billion pounds of cotton, of which almost all of it was produced from the United States. Cotton and the cotton gin made slavery economically viable. Before the cotton gin, during the generation of the founding fathers, slavery was simply not economically profitable. The amount of money it costs to feed a slave, to provide shelter for a slave, basically equaled the output of a slave. And slavery was not financially productive. And because of that, the founding fathers didn't have that bias. They didn't have that negia. They weren't driven by their appetites and they were able to see through slavery for the unjust sin that it was. But shortly after, with the invention of the cotton gin, slavery now becomes profitable. And now the second generation, the generation of Calhoun, the generation of Davis, well now they stand to gain with slavery because slavery now very quickly became tremendously profitable. And sure enough, what happens? Slavery now becomes a positive good. Slavery becomes just. Slavery becomes correct. They were biased. They had this negia. Their judgments were clouded by their appetites. If it's true for Jefferson Davis and John C. Calhoun, if it's true for a great person like Yitzchak, like an Isaac, it's for sure true about you and me. We are blinded by our appetites. We are blinded by our biases. We are blinded by our negias. It takes tremendous strength to go ahead and make an assessment of what's correct and what's incorrect, what's moral and what's immoral. Let's recognize we all potentially suffer from cognitive biases. We are all potentially blinded by our negias.